You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today, Jordan Eisenstadt. He is Senior Vice President at Merino. We're going to talk about the world of cannabis. We're going to talk about about marketing, communications, really kind of how do we get uh, messages out there? How do we connect with audiences? How do we connect with networks? Obviously, an interesting and somewhat complicated facet of cannabis, given the legal status, given kind of the restrictions that are in play at a federal and a state level. It really makes a challenge uh, for a lot of companies, a lot of cannabis companies in terms of being able to connect, get the message out there, obviously PR and communications being um, a key one that cannabis companies rely on um, because of the limits or because of kind of the complexity. So we're going to talk to Jordan about that. We're going to talk about where the state of the industry is, what he's seeing in the clients he works with, and really kind of find out a little bit more about where cannabis is going. So with all that, Jordan, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having me on. Big fan of the show. A lot of friends and colleagues and clients have been on the show, and I really appreciate what you do. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's a pleasure to have you on. I'm excited to have this conversation. So before we get into what's going on in cannabis today, let's get a little background. How did you get into public relations? How did you get into cannabis? Give us the backstory. Sure, sure. Well, it's a circuitous path to cannabis, as I feel like, you know, most (laughs) most people often say I didn't necessarily graduate college and said, I'm going to work in cannabis. But (laughs) somehow, uh, 20 years later, here I am. So when I graduated from college, I went to, to Brandeis University, and I immediately went into government. I had studied political science, and so I worked for a couple of New York State senators, including Liz Kruger, uh, who later on ended up being one of the architects of the MRTA, which is New York's mm-hmm. decriminalization and legalization bill. But um, after working for Liz, I those were communications roles. I then worked at a PR agency for a couple of years. I went back to government and worked for Governor Spitzer and Governor Patterson, which were pretty crazy experiences, probably (laughs) for another another podcast. And um, then after that, I did a little stint in an international digital learning company and then joined Merino PR about six years ago. When I came to Merino, the first sort of division that I I came in to to lead was higher education, kind of stabilized and built out that unit, saw the opportunity with New York's cannabis industry and just noted that we had this really small medical program, but reading the tea leaves, seeing where the country was going with legalization, knowing that, you know, Governor Cuomo at the time was thinking about some kind of a cannabis, you know, legalization play. It seemed like a good moment to 
start to look into the industry. So this is this is late 2017, 2018, you know, started to learn the terminology and the lingo. You know, I'd never heard of an MSO before. <laughs> uh, I didn't really know what terpenes were, yeah. you know, so kind of just started to educate myself. And then through some connections of the agency, we ended up landing a an initial contract with a little company known as Curaleaf. Uh, actually, they were known as Paleotech at the time. Okay, um, yeah. And then we grew with them as they went through the name change, as they went from the five states that they were in at that point to 19 states, the you know, merger or rather the acquisition with Select and then Grassroots. So, you know, we worked with them for about three years, you know, really sort of our practice kind of grew up as as they grew up in many ways. And we, you know, really learned so much about the ins and outs of the industry. After working with them for a bit, we started to kind of expand and we started to work with a cannabis IP company called Breeders Best, uh, a terpene company called True Terpenes, a cannabis law firm called Hiller PC. And so we just, you know, again, started to kind of spread our wings, you know, and working with some non-plant touching entities, again, Mm -hmm. got to learn so much about different facets of the industry. And then fast forward to today, our practice is, is thriving. We have about 15 cannabis clients or so, and they run the gamut from MSOs, single state cannabis companies, ancillary companies, a lot of applicants for New York and New Jersey licenses, and then a number of the conditional cultivators and processors in New York as well. So we are part of New York's budding and growing (laughs) cannabis community. Uh, We've put a lot of time and effort into, you know, obviously working with our clients, but really connecting with the community on the ground, groups like High NY, Revel, Happy Monkey, and really just being a part of the the cannabis community. Because we really, really believe in this. This isn't just sort of a a money play for us. You know, we're, we're very passionate about this industry. Yeah. I'm curious, given the experience you've had in some of these other industries, when you started to work with cannabis and started to learn, you know, some of the lingo and how the industry worked, what were some of the things that you sort of successfully able to transfer into cannabis? And what were the things that just didn't didn't transfer well, like that just the way cannabis works, just does, it requires kind of new thinking around the work that you do? Well, I would say that probably the most important thing that my background prepared me for with cannabis was I am a policy nerd. Having worked in government and helped develop legislation and advocate for legislation, I've always been passionate about the governmental process and literally how a bill becomes a law. So, you know, I've keen awareness of, of that legislative process. And so I think with cannabis, you really can't be in the cannabis industry, no matter what aspect of it you're in, you can't really can't be in it without having some kind of regulatory viewpoint of some kind. So I think having that policy background really helped prepare me for working in this industry. Uh, Because again, every client, you know, has some kind of legislative goal or objective or campaign or issue campaign, whatever it might be, no matter how small. And so, you know, having my political backgrounds, but also some political relationships as well. Um, You know, still very close with, you know, Senator Kruger, who I mentioned before. And so that's been, you know, kind of a a, a great thing for me and for our practice. I think on the flip side of that, as a lifelong public relations practitioner, cannabis is like no other industry 
that there is because you can't market and advertise through, you know, normal means that your that your client, you know, might normally look towards. So that makes PR, the the earned media component of what we do, so much more important to cannabis companies and our our clients. But it does mean that the the marketing mix is much different than really any other client uh, that we're dealing with. So that was something that was a bit of a shock to the system. And, you know, I still do work with some non-cannabis clients. And it's always funny to me because, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, you know, with these non-cannabis clients, it's like the, you know, you can can do anything you want practically (laughs) as compared to the cannabis uh, clients, which are, you know, it's, you know, your hands are tied for, you know, so many different things. Yeah. Just why don't you elaborate on that a little bit for folks, just because, and you mentioned the earned media, explain a little bit paid versus earned media, like how, how, you know, kind of the mix generally works and then why this is problematic for cannabis. Sure. Absolutely. So to back up, there's uh, an expression that we use in the PR and marketing worlds called PESO, P-E-S-O. So there's paid, earned, social, and owned. So paid media is, you know, literally advertising, Mm -hmm. um, sponsorships, digital, you know, advertising, things like that. Earned media is sort of the specialty of, of most PR firms. That's storytelling. That's getting your client literally in the news, quoted in an article or a profile on them that you did not literally pay the outlet to publish. Mm-hmm. Someone got paid, generally, usually me. <laughs> there's always um, money somehow being transferred, right. but yes. Uh, but that that is known as earned media. You yeah. literally earned it based on what you're what you're doing. S um, stands for social media. Of course, you know we all know about social media these days. All the rage, you know, yeah. a critical you know part of any marketing mix. Generally, with social media, we're referring to organic social media. So that's you know an unpaid. Instagram account, LinkedIn account, you know, et cetera. You need to have that presence, obviously. And then the final is owned media. And owned media is channels that you fully control, which is generally your website and things along those lines. So that's sort of the the overall marketing mix that most companies are looking at. Mm -hmm. With cannabis, of course, due to federal prohibition, most major social media entities or television networks won't take cannabis money. So that's why you don't see cannabis advertising on Facebook or Instagram or on broadcast news or TV. Now, there are some you know, physical advertising opportunities like billboards, which it really just depends on the owner of the billboard if they're willing to take cannabis money. Some magazines are starting to take cannabis money. Obviously, there are magazines that are cannabis specific. So, of course, Mm -hmm. they'll take that money. But, you know, there was a a recent announcement just last week that Hearst, major media conglomerate, lots of glossy magazines, they're actually a founding member of the Cannabis Media Council, which seems to signal to the community that maybe Hearst magazines will start taking cannabis money. So, you know, just like a lot of things in cannabis, I'm sure as your audience knows, you know, we're slowly peeling the onion or the orange or whatever, and and we're slowly getting there, but it's, you know, taking, taking quite a bit of time. So, what we often you know, talk about with our clients is that because of this unusual marketing mix, because of federal prohibition, you can't advertise through normal means, you really need a strong earned media strategy much earlier than 
you might in, in another industry. You yeah. know, sometimes people really just focus in on social media advertising or, you know, physical billboard advertising. But it's much harder to do that in the cannabis space, much more complicated. And, you know, the cannabis industry is also your consumers are looking for something, you know, authentic. They're doing their homework. They're doing their research often. So for our cannabis clients, being able to utilize our skills, our network at Merino to help tell their story in multiple types of outlets, whether it be cannabis trades, podcasts, radio, TV, traditional news and digital print media. There are lots of opportunities, but you have to have a strong earned media strategy from the get-go. Yeah. And what goes into that strategy? I mean, are, are you looking for kind of newsworthy or story-worthy items? Or how, I guess, how do you work with a client to find sort of the opportunities that are actually going to get them kind of the coverage or the, you know, the awareness building that they're really looking for. I find it's, it's always a challenge in cannabis because it's, it's easy to talk to other cannabis companies. It's like, <laughs> like there's a, the kind of an echo chamber of, you know, I can go talk to cannabis folks and it's like, that's, that's an easy audience, but that doesn't really add to me, add, add to my kind of network. How do you help them really use this strategically to build awareness and build audience? So every client is different. I'll start with that. And there are some clients that are really just, you know, their market is B2B and they are talking to other cannabis industry uh -huh. players. And, you know, they, where they want to be is in cannabis podcasts, cannabis uh, trade magazines, because that's the best venue for them to communicate. But yeah. the vast majority of other clients are really looking to hit more of a mainstream audience. A lot of our clients really come to us because they want to get out of that echo chamber. They've got the, the cannabis media covered, and they're really looking to tell top-tier stories in major uh, outlets, whether it be New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, or they want to get on, you know, network TV. And they want to, you know, or they want to get in glossy fashion magazines, right? And so yep. the, the at the end of the day, what we do with our clients is we're, we're really all about the strategy, especially in the first one to two months. So we sit down, we have a, a big brainstorm with our clients, kind of get all the information that we can, ask a lot of, you know, smart questions. And then we pull together a, usually a three to six month plan to help sort of ramp them up and elevate them. And again, every client is different. So there's, there's, you know, there's no one size fits all here, but we try to meet the client where they're at. What's their, what's their unique selling point where we are fortunate that we do work with a lot of brands, um, especially in New York and New Jersey that are owned by women, owned by people of color, owned by, you know, an indigenous, you know, individual or come from some kind of a, a social equity kind of justice involved background of some kind. So that obviously being being different um, or being unique in the space, you know, helps and that helps with the storytelling. So we're always looking for what qualifies them as, you know, as somehow different. We also like to delve into whatever their expertise are, because one way that we build up our clients is, you know, maybe at first there's not going to be a big profile story on that client. So how do you begin getting a client out there, getting them some visibility. Well, you know, we're talking to reporters all the time um, in, you know, both locally, but then nationally, and we've become sort of a go-to for them. So sure. when they're looking to, you know, speak to someone about market caps 
or they're looking to speak to someone about, you know, the recent round of card applicants in New York, which were the conditional adult use retail dispensaries. We know which of our clients can speak to those issues and we will get our clients out there and seek to get them quoted in articles. So that's part of how we're building their profile. And then if the client, you know, is product-based, we will work to get those products in the hands of media, in the hands of influencers, so that they can add them to their gift guide or do some kind of a review. So, you know, it's all about kind of figuring out where what the client's strengths are and then really just leaning into it. Yeah. Uh, and again, fortunately, we've been lucky that a lot of our clients really have a strong origin story or some really strong assets to provide to the public. And then the other piece I'd mention is, you know, and this goes back to what we were talking about with the regulatory and sort of policy piece. But, you know, we also do work with some clients who have very specific regulatory objectives. Um, okay. One interesting one that's worth mentioning is we work with a client called Pantheon Collective and they're a cannabis startup They're They don't qualify for social equity, but they would be, you know, they would be applying for just sort of a normal retail license whenever that uh, happens. So for mm -hmm. now, what they're really focusing on is the founders are members of the LGBT community, and they mm -hmm. would like to see the LGBT community added to uh, the social equity program. So this is a, a campaign. You know, we're, we're writing, you know, op-eds and bylines. We're writing mm -hmm. letters to legislators. We're getting other people to write letters to legislators. And we've really sort of put that issue on the map, that the LGBT community actually had a real and very important impact on the cannabis industry, particularly yeah. the medical cannabis industry. Yeah. And, you know, it's a great, you know, we've gotten some great results for them. That's great. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. I'm curious what the, what, what are reporters looking for and how has that shifted over time? Like, you know, when, when you kind of started on this and started working with some of these companies in the early stages, like what were the topics, what, what were people interested in or what was the media interested in and how has that kind of shifted as the cannabis industry has kind of grown and evolved? So five years ago, when we started in the cannabis space, beyond the cannabis trade publications, which, mm -hmm. you know, have, have obviously grown since that point. But beyond that, any mainstream coverage that you were getting was generally from a non-cannabis reporter. Yeah. So five years ago, we had to educate media. We actually, mm -hmm. th that was sort of our kind of mission in, in many ways. And, you know, obviously we're still looking to educate consumers and stakeholders through media, but the media has become much more savvy and much more educated now about cannabis than they were five years ago. Again, still a long road to go. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, one thing that happened recently was the New York Times now has a, a cannabis uh, beat reporter. That's Amazing, no, because yeah. six years ago, there was no such thing. And so any time, re and really up until a few weeks ago, there was no such thing. So anytime the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal was writing a cannabis, a piece on, on any, you know, cannabis, uh, you know, policy or, or cannabis industry in any state, it was always being written by a non-cannabis reporter. So it took tremendous education. And then, you know, oftentimes they'd get things wrong because they just, you know, didn't have the background or the knowledge in the space. So I think what's really shifted in the last few years is that we have cannabis beat reporters. There are cannabis freelancer, you know, reporters as well who are reporting for multiple publications who bring a breadth of knowledge that media did not have prior. 
you know, and then obviously we've seen networks, you know, like Cheddar, for instance, you know, really sort of lean in to cannabis and have someone like Chloe Aiello, who sort of dedicates a lot of her time to the cannabis beat. So I think that's been sort of one of the, the biggest shifts. The other thing that, you know, I, to some degree just goes hand in hand with that growth is that, you know, now you're just seeing more outlets take cannabis seriously. Mm-hmm. Five, six years ago, they were not really taking it that seriously. A lot of outlets just chose completely not to cover it. But now it's sort of like you can't not, especially now that we're at a point where, you know, nearly 40 states have some form of legal cannabis. I mean, yeah. every nearly every state has to have some kind of coverage. You know, we've had, we recently had a client get some coverage in Mississippi of all states with their <laughs> nascent cannabis program. So, you know, it, the, the world is changing, however, slowly. Yeah. And how how do you kind of divide up that world? I mean, given the fact that we've got, you know, different states that have different history, different nature of the programs, different structural aspect to how they're organizing their state cannabis industry. How do you kind of, I guess, divide up or categorize the world of cannabis, particularly in the U.S. at this point? Great question. So as I'm sure your listeners know, we're dealing with the situation because of federal prohibition, where we have this patchwork quilt of different state laws, which makes everything more challenging for whether it's consumers or businesses in the industry who are trying to work across multiple states, because basically can't do the same thing from state to state. Yeah, so every exactly. state needs to have its own operation, its own packaging, its own you know cultivation and everything. And from a PR perspective, that makes it challenging because Every state covers cannabis differently. The laws are are different. And frankly, the attitudes are different. You know, New York, which is our, our home and where a lot of our clients are, are based, is generally more accepting of cannabis, whereas some of the other okay. states that we've operated in, you know, there's been more of a reluctance to cover the, the legal cannabis industry. You know, so that creates a situation where You've got a set of national publications that are, are regularly covering cannabis and are sort of growing their, their, their cannabis coverage mandate, which is, which is great to see. You then are dealing with local and regional outlets who are all covering cannabis differently. And so, you know, that part of our jobs is to, to do that homework and do that research. And so when we're pitching stories to media, you know, we will do an audit of recent coverage and make sure that what's the right angle to get X client covered in this market, because it's going to be different in Mississippi than it is in New York. And it's going to be different in Illinois than it is in Massachusetts. You know, even with more, you know, mature and established markets, it's that the coverage is going to be different from state to state. So that's a huge challenge for us, you know, in terms of sort of the mainstream coverage of cannabis. Uh, the other piece that I would say is, you know, I, I've seen more and more of a desire by our clients to be featured in glossy magazines, fashion magazines, women's magazines, men's magazines, and things like that. And, you know, that's a world that's that's slowly opening up to to cannabis. And, you know, it's just just takes a lot, a lot of pitching and a lot of a lot of contact and communication and and handholding. But, you know, we're breaking through all of us, you know, communicators in the cannabis space, whether we're in-house or those of us who are, you know, on the agency side. We are definitely breaking through. Yeah. And what do you think are going to be the kind of the topics or issues going forward? I mean, given we've got uh, some states coming online here, potentially have some, you know, federal discussions around safe banking and interstate commerce and potentially even 
decriminalization uh, or de, you know rescheduling, descheduling. W what are the trends? What are the things you're kind of watching out for, or you know you're helping your clients kind of navigate as as these things are going to play out in in the industry? Yeah. So I, I've definitely seen an increase in in coverage over the last couple of weeks about federal legalization, and I don't I don't exactly know what to attribute <laughs> that to. I, I feel like we've all been sort of hoping that, you know, maybe federal legalization would, would would happen under the Biden administration. It feels it feels unlikely, quite unlikely. And federal decriminalization as well seems pretty unlikely. And I, I don't really, you know, see many of our clients being super bullish on that. Yeah. Um, I do think some kind of safe banking carve out does seem more likely, especially because there is some Republican support in states where there are established cannabis markets. But Maybe there are some Republican senators or representatives in those states because it really just becomes a, frankly, a, a safety issue yeah. uh, for a lot of these dispensaries at the end of the day. So, you know, that is something that, you know, we feel has some strong likelihood. I think the thing, again, because a lot of our clients are based in New York and New Jersey, I think the thing that we're really talking about and following a lot is the rollout of our justice involved and social equity licensing and programming. The no state has really gotten it quite right from our research and from, you know, reviewing some of these other. So I don't love to use the word social equity because it, you know, it's sort of a catch all, but I'll, I'll use it for sake of this conversation. But it doesn't seem like any state has really gotten social equity right. I think yeah, New York, I, I think New York has a historic opportunity to get it right. And I mean, literally right now we are in the midst of it because the conditional adult use retail dispensary applications went in recently. Uh, hopefully there'll be some winners announced before the end of the year, hopefully within the next couple of months. So, you know, I think the rollout of our social equity program is in many ways a national story, because if we can get it right, that can be exported to other states. And then, of course, after the, these first 150 dispensaries open, it's then the rollout really of the rest of the program, including more social equity opportunity for non-justice involved folks. So there's definitely something happening here in New York. And, you know, mm -hmm. I will use my snobby New York card and say, you know, in many ways, New York, you know, does does lead the nation. Yeah. Um, so hope to see a really robust New York program with some really great outcomes that can help sort of the, the rest of the, the country get get their uh, social equity ducks in a row. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. If I give you a magic wand and, and you could change one thing about the cannabis industry today, what would it be? Like, what's the what's the thing that you feel really needs to get addressed or would really help us? So recently there was a Benzinga conference. I, I wasn't there, but people have been talking about it as Menzinga. Uh, and that it was so dominated by men and, and particularly, you know, white men. And, yep. you know, and I'm fully acknowledged that I, I too, am, am a white man. But, mm -hmm. you know, what part of what I've loved doing over the past few years is working with and empowering brands that are, you know, owned by women, owned by, you know, people of color, you know, and owned by indigenous folks. And, you know, I want to, you know, really make sure that that, you know, those communities have, you know, not not just like a, a seat at the table, but that, you know, they're really kind of helping navigate this industry for the future. So, I mean, with with my magic wands, I'd, I'd love to see a world where there's a bit more equality in, in terms of representation uh, in, in the industry, particularly from the, the larger players. You know, I want to see more black and brown people. I want to see more more men at, or rather women at, you know, higher levels 
of of power in you know you know C suites, and you know I think that for from a PR perspective, we're really fortunate that you know we're working with some great clients and we have the opportunity to to tell those stories because I think you know robust storytelling is is really the way to to you know to make that magic wand wish happen. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Jordan, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Marino, what's the best way to get that information? You can visit us at marinopr.com or you can email us at my favorite email address in the world, which is cannabis at marinopr.com. And, you know, Marino, obviously we've spoken a lot here about earned media, but at Marino, we're, you know, we, we work with our clients on anything public facing. So that's, you know, your PR and storytelling, social media, website development, advertising as much as we're able to do in the advertising world. Uh, but we can do all of that and uh, look forward to, you know, speaking to any prospective clients and just answering questions about this fascinating industry. Excellent. I'll make sure all the information is in the show notes so people can get that. Jordan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Bruce. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.